Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 7654321, recorded live on June 24th, 2023. And here are your hosts, the man who has my fate once again put in his hands, Dave Clay. Damn it. Yes. <laughs> And the man who is going to ask, orange or purple, Indy Oh, Lee. orange. I mean, or- definitely. Orange? All right. Orange. Yeah. All right, here we go. Orange or purple, so like literally orange or grape. Mm-mm. Ooh. Not necessarily grape? No. They're not necessarily orange. Both. Oh, my. Mm. The item you have chosen for me for tonight's recording, Mountain <laughs> Dew Baja Caribbean Splash. Okay. So Baja Blast with a guava flavor. Interesting. Yes, yes. In case you were wondering, which we will probably talk about this next week, <clears throat> the purple is passion fruit Baja Blast. Passion fruit. Passion fruit. And guava. And guava. I, so here's here's my like dirty little secret. I'm not a huge fan of like tropical fruits. Like passion fruit, dragon fruit, guava, papaya, mango. Well, we so Isaac, you, I think we've talked about in the past, was like obsessed with fruits, right? And vegetables. Like there were YouTube videos that he was watched that uh, one of them was put on by, I think, uh, Food Magazine or Epicurious or something like that, where it was literally a chef for like 45 minutes. Showing you how to peel different fruits. Peel and cut different fruits. That's all it yeah. was for like 45 I minutes. I remember. I remember yeah. when that came out. Yes. Yeah. And he he would like watch that thing intensely. And so we got to see all these different fruits. And so, you know, we would go to the Myers and then you would just, you know, they have like the one shelf of like the exotic fruits and we would just pick one new fruit and try it that week. So I, yeah, I've tried mango. I've tried papaya. I've tried dragon fruit, which looks way cooler than it actually tastes. Dragon fruit's the one that's like a red exterior, white interior with a bunch of black seeds. Yes. Okay. It looks cool. It, like, the outside looks cool. You open it up, it looks cool, and you bite into it and you're like, where's the flavor? <laughs> uh, have you considered perhaps that you got a bad dragon fruit? No, no, no. I've asked, I actually asked other people about that. Because, I, you know, I posted these, like, you know, the new fruit of the week on, on Facebook. And I posted dragon fruit and I said, like, this thing tastes bland. And a couple other people were like, yeah, I know. So, you know, it's so what you really need is like the essence of dragon fruit. Yes. Dragon fruit, I guess, is more of a presentation sort of thing. It's like a parsley <laughs> where it's, you know, it's, it's just like the it's, it's about presentation for a fruit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've I've tried a lots of different fruits. And I, you know, I actually like most of the, most of the tropical fruits I like. Some of them, not so much. Like, uh, yeah. oh, I finally tried avocado. Have, no. Have you, you haven't tried avocado previously? No. Have you never had guacamole? Yes. Weird. Because, you know, people are like, oh, chips and guacamole or chips and salsa. I'm like, yes, I will take the salsa. I like spicy things. That's, but, but Andy, that's not... An exclusive or you can do chips with guacamole and salsa. Yes, but I looked at the salsa. I'm like, you know, the salsa looks appealing. The guacamole does not look appealing. Also looks appealing. So I, I actually used to be the same. I used to not like guac uh, and I didn't understand like the, the craze for it. And I'm, I've come around on it. Like guacamole is actually pretty tasty. I have a friend who makes it fresh. Oh, well, there's anything that's that's a yeah. yeah. Anything made fresh is way better. You know, there's I mean, fresh guac is like you you dice an avocado, you cut up some onions, you cut a lime in half and you're basically there. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's only there's only one thing that (laughs) doesn't taste better when it's fresh. And that's booze. Booze. You have to let it sit. For the appropriate amount of time. Based on the type of booze. Yes. Yeah, your white wines, you got to drink them a lot faster than your reds, which, you know, you got to drink those faster than some bourbons and whiskeys. Yeah. 
everything's, you know, the alcohol just kind of has to sit for a bit for the right amount of time. You know, I like this. I like this guava. I'm, I'm, you know, part of me was like, <laughs> I went, I went into Meyer, right? Cause I had heard that mm-hmm. it was finally like in the area. I go into Meyer and all I do is buy Mountain Dew and I, I spent $54. <laughs> On Mountain Dew. That's it. On Mountain Dew. $54 on Mountain Dew. Well, to be fair, Andy. to be fair, yes. you know, it's the 10 cent bottle deposit and I was buying strictly 12 packs. So, you know, a large chunk of that will be going back into Was my- deposits? Yes. It's just deposits. <laughs> But yes, no, I, I spent a lot of Mountain Dew just because these are, you know, Baja Blast was finally back in cans. So I just stock up on that one. And that is my Mountain Dew for like the next six months. But then, yeah, I picked up a 12 pack of this Caribbean and passion fruit. And, you know, I like it. It's good. I'm glad. Yep. I'm glad. I'm rocking a strawberry lemonade spindrift. Ooh. Um, but I'm also like recovering from six root beer floats at the picnic today. <laughs> oh. Now they they when they serve a root beer float at the picnic they've been doing like half size like they're like a a drink a drinking cup from like a, a fountain yeah right like not a huge thing like that that size root beer float but when Let's, you get enough of them yes I'm like you're in Wisconsin though so it's probably pretty good ice cream and it's probably pretty and it's good root beer. root beer yeah yeah those would you know enough of those and oof. it was very tasty yep no I could see that um but yeah no I had the picnic today and had a bunch of root beer floats and some other food that was pretty tasty but not as good as the root beer float god man sweet stuff is just you know i cracked open a thing of golden oreos and i'm like i'm looking at this container going like how many calories did i just eat but they're so good <laughs> some sometimes it's better not to ask yeah i know other times think about it ask about it consider it sometimes it's better to not ask yep and i'm i'm at that point where i'm basically almost at maintenance weight you know i've got a nice. little bit i've got a little yeah i know <laughs> looking back at when was that i'd have to look at my you know, yes the timeline. No, not that timeline. The other timeline. The other timeline. Just go call you Kang. There it is. December twenty sixth, twenty twenty twenty. You're not going to give me a detail on that one, are you? No, you're not. Ah, oh, stupid mobile interface. <laughs> but yeah, no. At one point, yes, I had hit two hundred pounds, and I am now basically floating at one fifty or Damn. Little bit, a little bit under. I am envious because I got up into the one eighties, and that's kind of where I'm at. I would well, be I, happier down around one sixty. Yeah. Nope. I I wanted to get back down to the one fifty range, and. It, yeah. When I saw that two on the yeah. scale, that was kind of like the, you know, the alarm going, wait. Oh, shit. Am I reading that right? Am I, am I, you know. Like, uh, that can't be right. Oh, so there's, someone's got like their foot on the scale or something. Do I, do I need to go to the bathroom? Let me go to the bathroom <laughs> and come back. Nope, that's right. Okay. Hmm. We should do something For me, about it's, this. it's like, I wonder if like I have someone hold my hair. How much less do I weigh? <laughs> It's got to add up to something. God, what? What show? I think it's more likely these six root beer floats. There was a show. I think it was on one of the British channels that I was watching. Might have been on Sky. Might have been on ITV. I don't remember. Um, but the guy had a challenge at the time <laughs> to lose weight, but he only had. 24 hours to do it. So he's like, well, shoot, how much weight can I lose in 24 hours? Shave your head. Yep. Yeah, there was that. He he literally shaved his whole body. It's like, I have, you know, like I'm not, I'm not really going to eat, but you know, what else, what else can I do? I can exercise. But, but you're you know, not going to lose weight in a day. Yeah. Like, yeah. How much weight can I lose in just 24 hours? That one was just kind of fascinating because there's there's a lot of stuff there that's like, yes, it takes time for weight loss. 24 hours, not a lot of time. No. So yeah, so no recording last week because uh, we were in Detroit and Ann Arbor last week. So that was fun. Miss Ann Arbor. Wish I could go back. It was it was fun to see everybody. Saw Bry, saw Beth, saw Cat, and the new her new kid. Cool, Emily. Nice. Yes. Okay. Went to the uh, Detroit Zoo. To give Isaac and Megan something to do. <clears throat> First time I had been back there in a couple of years. How was it? It was nice. It was getting warm though, so a lot of the animals were not very active. Yeah. 
I, I can imagine. I'm sure like all the, the reptilians were like super active though. Well, yeah, but most of the reptilians are inside their reptile house. Ah. Um, so yeah, so we uh, finally got into <laughs> back into the new penguin house there because that had been, they had closed it down for construction right before COVID um, and they just kept it closed because there was something wrong with the concrete and all the other, you know, supply chain problems that had happened. So we finally got back into that one. That's a really nice, they have a really nice penguin exhibit at the Detroit Zoo. I would not have assumed that. Yeah. I don't know what I'd assume. I, I mean, zoos are kind of weird because like at least most zoos in the United States are, um, they are, are non-local animals. Yes. But I feel like a zoo almost should be local animals that like you go to the different areas to see the different types of animals in the zoo. Well, some of them do have a local component some zoos that we have been to because i've actually been to a large number of zoos now um some of them do actually have like a local flora and fauna um you know section where they're like you know these Mm -hmm. are you know these are the animals around it's like one of them's like oh yeah no these wolves you know have you know are an endangered species in michigan it's like oh really didn't know that and so they're in the Detroit Zoo. Yeah, yeah there's a uh, there's a wolverine in the Detroit Zoo. So of course it. there is. Yeah. There's a badger. There's a, I think it's actually, it might be a honey badger in the uh, Madison Zoo. Well, you know, I don't think they've actually spotted a wolverine in the wild in Michigan in like decades. <laughs> uh, is that true? Last wolverine spotted in Michigan. 2004. Sorry. Wow. 200 years. Prior to that. Yes. Not a very common animal. Nope. But that was never the point. It's not that like Michigan was full of wolverines and that's why they were called wolverines. I think it was just because of our ferocity or something, I guess. It was an insult. Oh, it was an insult? Of course it, it was. It was an insult. Of course it was an insult. It was an insult. Of course it Had was. nothing to do with ferocity or tenacity or it was like, you are a smelly weasel. And we just took it and ran with it. Just like my car. Oh, <laughs> oh. now we're the Great Lakes State. So that's, that's the new thing. I mean, we always were the Great Lakes State, weren't we? Was so. Michigan ever the Wolverine State? Michigan, Great Lakes State. Why is Michigan called the Great Lakes State? Although Michigan is often called the Wolverine State, its more common nickname is the Great Lakes State. Only state in the U.S. that borders four of the five Great Lakes. Yep. Oh, that's amusing. So, like, Minnesota is the the land of 10,000 lakes. Michigan has (laughs) 11,000. Yep. uh, The... um there was a corn maze that we did one year um, that was actually a, they had cut out <clears throat> the major interstates in Michigan and the outline of the state. So the idea was, you know, because it's not really a maze at that point, but you have to go if, through. If you know, mm-hmm. if, and you have to find like six little like question blocks. And so the idea is you would have to like wander through Michigan, find these question blocks that had trivia about Michigan. And once you found all six, then technically you were done and then you could leave the map. Um, but uh, we only found a couple of them. And at that point, we're like, OK, this is we're over this. But one of the questions was, was how far is the farthest away you will ever be from either a river or a lake in Michigan? Like any river or lake? Yes. Uh, probably like six miles. Yep, six miles. That is the farthest you can get away in Michigan from basically. And how El- far from the Great Lakes? Oh, that's mm, probably you'd have, probably have to be either in Lansing, maybe. Somebody's probably figured this out. Michigan Point, farthest from the Great Lakes. Lansing is a is probably a strong contender. Uh, okay, so yeah, geography in Michigan. No point in Michigan is more than six miles from an inland lake and no more than 85 miles from one of the Great Lakes, according to Michigan Economic Development Corporation 2016. So looking at a map, okay, you'd have to find something that is 85 miles away. <clears throat> you know, actually, maybe the southern border. What, down by like cold water? By like Indiana and Ohio? Yeah, Cold water is like 10 miles from the border, and it's pretty that close. That might actually be the furthest because of of how Lake Michigan is shaped. Yep. 
Okay. Um, okay. Somebody from the website who hosted this. Oh, okay. Eric did. Um, I can actually go to competitor websites now for the radio stations because you know what? I don't have a dog in that fight anymore. <laughs> did you not have the, like you kept yourself off of their websites? Yes. I had actually blacklisted their websites uh, on my host file. Wow. Because you're like, I don't want there to be even the, like, consideration that this is a thing. Mm -hmm. I do not want to get, because they have, you know, I have worked with people who used to work with the competitors. So everybody knew basically how everybody else operated. So they knew, like, okay, you know, if you get so many clicks or so many article looks or some views or whatever impressions or whatever it is called now. So, like, you know what, just just going to block them out completely. Nice. Yeah. Speaking of, of clicks and views and impressions, should we perhaps move on to topics? I suppose. Um, this and get guy, off of talking about Michigan? Yep. This guy says Eaton Rapids might be the farthest away. I don't know where Eaton Rapids is. I feel like I should. Uh, think of it south of Lansing, but north of 94. Okay. So, but this, you know, probably an easier way to figure out exactly. So we'll see. Right, so topics. Yeah, we've got a few. Uh, to update you on our talk from last week, uh, where we had talked cars. Cars, uh, cars, 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 yeah. cars, cars. Yes. We had talked about how NASCAR had... Two weeks ago. Yes, two weeks ago. Um, we had talked about how NASCAR brought one of their cars to the 24-hour race at Le Mans. Yeah. Um, the official... And everyone was laughing because there was a NASCAR stock car. Yes. Well, uh, they ran as high as 27th out of a field of 64, and they were ahead of the entire GTE AM field after 20 hours. Um, the problem was, is, um, normally NASCARs don't run for, you know, 24 hours straight <laughs> for, for that many continuous hours of driving. Yep. And after 20 hours and nine minutes, they broke their drive train. Oh no. <laughs> they had completed 254 laps and they broke the drive chain, so they had to spend almost 90 minutes in the pit changing the gearbox. Replacing it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. So, you know, they were up 27th. Gearbox broke. Gearbox broke. So they had to go into the pits. They got back out. They got it fixed, and they got back out on the track, but they were now running 40. Yeah, but 90 minutes out, like... Yes. Especially since a single lap, these guys could run a lap in under four minutes, so... So you're twenty some laps behind. Yeah, and they uh, they dropped from twenty seventh down to fortieth. <laughs> that's too bad. But they did. Although the, that's fortieth out of sixty four, right? Yes, yes, and that means um, they because they were still in the race. Everybody below fortieth had already f broken and were out. Out. Okay, that's why they. I was like, how? How were those 20-some people so far behind that they could go out for 90 minutes? As Oh, because they were done, done. They, they were done, done, which was hilarious. I have to find this on the, I think it was on the Wikipedia article. I was reading up on the race. Um, Ferrari won. This was their, like, first time back in decades, and they won. They beat, um, I think, Toyota, right, running for 24 hours. 392 laps, and they beat the Toyota by one minute and 32 seconds. That is a close... <laughs> out of 24 hours to be only a minute and 32 seconds apart is a yes. pretty close race. Well, uh, the Ferrari had a bigger lead because Toyota like locked up and spun off the track. And so t Ferrari actually had like a couple minute lead, but then they went into the pit stop for their final driver change and their final pit stop before they, you know, go for the end. And somehow the driver at the pit stop locked up the car so he couldn't get it to turn back on. What? <laughs> Yeah, he locked up the electronics on the car. So literally Oops. an engineer went out there, pulled the power <clears throat> on the whole car, you know, waited 30 seconds or so, plugged it back in For again. For all the stuff to clear out. Yes, plugged it back in again and had, they basically <clears throat> had to, to cold boot the whole car. I mean, of all the problems to have between a 
your entire drivetrain dying. Yeah. Uh, or your car, you know, completely crashing. Getting just like, what the hell, guys? But still, think about that. You're, you know, final pit stop. You're, you're, you're three minutes ahead of your next closest competitor, and your car in the pits does not want to start. Just stops. Ah, guys! Come on, it was working when I pulled it in here. Uh, anyone know why the car won't start? That has to just be a nightmare, because, like, you're watching your lead drain away. Yep. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's just, watch, you know, you're thinking you have it in the bag, and all of a sudden you're... you're dead in the water literally and you're just like what do i do what do i do what do i do there's not much you can do no and then you're just sitting there yeah the engineer comes out and he's like okay we got to reboot the whole car and you're just sitting there just waiting patiently basically you know i'd be hoping if there was like a little does that take well, let's see, the three minutes down to 90 seconds. Well, I would so just say, like, that's that's what I'd ask the engineer. Yeah. Be like, uh, we have to reboot the car? <laughs> be hilarious Control, if there's, like, a little progress. Yeah, a little progress bar going across the steering wheel or something. You're just like, come oh, on. Oh, man, I'm I'm picturing, like, the, the, like, startup of a computer where, you know, like, it flashes up an image just to be cute. And it's like, no, no, just go, just go. It's got that little spinny circle. It's like, come on. Come on. What do you mean updates? <laughs> no, no updates. Cancel, cancel. Would you like to subscribe to... No! So yeah, so that was two weeks ago. Uh, this weekend is Pike's Peak. And remember how we talked about how you, the guys at Washtenaw Community College took a GT... Was it, they took yeah, the GT40. Yeah, a GT. Yeah. Well, um, it turns out, have you ever heard of the Ford Supervan? If you haven't told me about it, no. Okay, so it seems back in 1971, they took a Ford, took a Ford Transit van, and the chassis of a GT40 race car, complete with the 400 horsepower V8 engine, and put them together. So... (laughs) So take that Ford, you know, Ford 500 sedan and just, you know, think about replacing the sedan with a transit van. And that was the Ford Supervan back in 1970. It turns out they did a Supervan 2 in 84 and then they did a Supervan okay. 3 in um, 2001. Well, it seems they came back with a Supervan 4 this year for Pike's Peak, except this year it's going to be the electric transit van. 2,000 horsepower in this electric transit van. It doesn't look like in a transit van at all. <laughs> it definitely doesn't. I'm looking at these pictures. They're, it looks like they had to do some um, extra work on the, the aerodynamics of the vehicle. Yes. Not to make it aerodynamic in the traditional sense, but like some insane considerations. <laughs> Well, Pike's Peak is so strange because you start 9,390 feet above sea level and you end at 14,000 feet above sea level, which, yeah. The air starts getting a little thinner. Yes. That's been always the problem with Pike's Peak is the fact that, you know, the the internal combustion engine needs air to run at its, you know, peak efficiency. And as you're going farther into the race course, it gets less and less air and then also the aerodynamics also become less and less the higher up you go that's why the at the the, very least there's less air resistance yes there is less air resistance but yes but if you're using you know wings and that sort of you know aerodynamic downforce to keep your car on the road having less air you could have a problem when there's less air yep i love it i love it it makes me so happy (laughs) like that's a lot of engineering. Yep. So yeah, this is going to be an electric transit van. It's going to try and run Pikes Peak, which is surprising. Actually, the record for Pikes Peak is actually held by an electric car right now. Huh? Is that because the whole like less oxygen for the internal combustion engine? Mm-hmm. Electric engines don't care that there's no oxygen. They just run. But you need like the batteries with you. you need, I mean, it's pretty cool. 
So, yep. Well, good for them. So, yeah, that will happen tomorrow. So, by the time you actually hear this recording, it will have already happened. It so will we'll, have happened. Yep. Welcome from the past. So, that was the updates on the previous ones. Is there anything on this topic list that strikes your fancy? I mean, we've got two conventions on this topic list. Yeah. Both having problems. <laughs> Almost like a pandemic came by. And made people rethink these things. Well, one, yes. their value. One, yes. The other one, not so much. So the one that kind of got... Really? Screwed, yeah. I'll, I'll explain the second one. But let's, first, okay. let's talk about E3, just because it's E3. And yeah. the report from the LA City Tourism Commission is that E3 is not going to be held in LA in 2024 or 2025. Whoa. So the city of LA was told... No E3 in 2024 or 2025. Yes. I mean, well, that answers that. Mm-hmm. Although it does leave questions, right? Like it does, it's not going to take place in LA. Are they going to look for somewhere else? Well, didn't they do it in San Diego for like two years? I don't think so. I mean, it was originally a spinoff of CES, which was in Vegas. <clears throat> The first event was held in 1995 at the L.A. Convention Center. I swear they were somewhere else. Okay, the 2007... Okay, so yeah. uh, 2007 show was held at the Barker Hangar at the Santa Monica Airport. So yes, I think that was the one. The 2008 event returned to L.A. But yeah, 2007 was in Santa Monica Airport, which I remember hearing... Wait, isn't Santa Monica like right near L.A.? Where is Santa Monica? I should know this. Yeah, Santa Monica is part of L.A. It wasn't at the L.A. Convention Center, but it was still in L.A. Well, I guess none next year and the year after, which this year, you know, you had Summer Game Fest. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Sony had their PlayStation event. Nintendo and Ubisoft had their own events. And we're not really in, you know, we're not really, the the only new hardware we're looking for, I think, is a new Steam, or not a new Steam Deck, a new, uh, new Switch. I think that's the only hardware we're looking uh- I mean, there's a new Switch. There's this PS5 handheld that they talked about, which is a dumbass little idea. <laughs> it is! No, I don't... I'm not. A handheld argue. that ties to the main console, and you can play the games from your main console on the handheld as long as you're on the same Wi-Fi is like, what the hell? Why? Yeah. How All is I that could, not a dumbass idea? The only thing I could think of is some sort of um, asymmetrical PvP sort of game. Yeah, but, go ahead and ask the um, the Wii U how that works. Oh, yeah. Go ahead and, and you tell me how that worked out on the Wii U. Well, I didn't say it worked. I, was the, I said that's the only thing I can think of. But. Okay. Not that it's an actual possible solution. Yes. No, that was the only thing I could think of of what you would want to do with having somebody on a handheld versus... Well, it was just like watching the uh, the Apple demo where it's like, okay, I could put on this Apple headset and then pretend that I'm looking at a TV to play games. Yeah. Or, you know, I could just sit on my couch and look at my TV. And it would probably be a pretty <laughs> nice TV with and, the amount of money I'm spending on the Apple could- headset. <laughs> You could have two people looking at the same TV. I know. Do you know how much that costs for the Apple Vision? For two of them? <laughs> I could get a really nice Seven $7,000. I could build a like view, excuse me, a viewing chamber in my basement for that much. Yep. Okay, so that's E3. Uh, Not happening in L.A. Technically, they haven't said it's not happening, just not happening in L.A. Yes. What about if we go a little further uh, south to San Diego? Well, San Diego. What's going on with Comic-Con, Andy? Well, a lot of um, companies are basically pulling out of Comic-Con. Because there's still uh, there's still the writer strike going on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the um, writer's contract is the o- is not the only contract that has a deadline this year. Because right, the DGA and the SAG yep. 
contracts should both be up as well. Yes, the SAG contract the, is the DGA up. cut a deal. The the SAG contract though has a deadline on June thirtieth, and Comic Con uh-huh. is scheduled for July nineteenth. Okay, so and they don't want the actors to be on strike while they're at Comic Con. Well, the, the the if the actors are on strike, they're not going to want to have them at Comic Con. So a lot of the studios had basically already thought, okay, this writer strike is not going well. We have a feeling the SAG contract is also probably not going to go well. So we're just going to pull out of Comic-Con. Fine if you actually pay your actors and your writers. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So they are pulling out of Comic-Con because they don't want to, like, be there because they'd be expected to bring their actors and they don't want to have to deal with, like, angry fans saying, hey, your actors are on strike. Or I suppose worse, the actors literally striking outside of Comic-Con. Or, you know, having the the big... Marvel, you know, studio, what was it? Is it Hall H? You know, having all these thousands of fans piling into Hall H for the new Marvel panel of something and then having literally nobody show up. Because they're all on strike. Because they're all on strike. I mean, you could just send in all the producers. (laughs) Yeah, you could also send in the catering crew for the amount of, you know, Kevin Feige could show up and he could probably, you know, show enough sizzle reel to try and keep everybody, you know, happy. But Kevin Feige could do a goddamn Q&A and he'd like, that would be it. That rocket. That you know, that's that's true. He could probably hold his own, but I'd I'd like to see a Kevin Feige and James Gunn Q and A panel of like, hey, you're the two heads of the like major competing franchises. You also used what to is work your together take on this. Yeah, and you've also worked together on a number of projects. Uh, how's that going? I mean, James Gunn learned a ton from Feige. That's why they're like, why he's in charge of DC. Yes, but in the same way, like that's why Favreau is in charge of Star Wars. Yes, but uh, what's the box office pull on the Flash? Not great, but that was also before James Gunn really like fully took over. Mm -hmm. Flash was in the works for a while, and James Gunn is using it as a reset point. He's like, "Fuck this universe. (laughs) We're gonna start over." I don't know, man. Like, that's... I I would love to see the screen actors strike, like, right outside of Comic-Con. Oh, yeah. No, that'd be hilarious. And and I'd love to see, like, the fans going out and supporting it and the the guild using it as a way of, like, yeah, we're out here because we need these things from the producers and they aren't willing to give them to us. And so we're not working. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we'll we'll see. Like I said, the contract ends in the end of a this week. month. Yeah, it ends this week. Oh, and we thought the writers' strike was bad. Yeah. Which, to be clear, the writers' strike is bad. Please pay your writers. Yes. God, who was it that was on the View? It's one of the guys who was on the View talking about his project, and he's like, you know, I kind of had to come out here and promote this for my own job, but there are other people who are, you know, hurting. So just, you know, I've, I've said my piece. I've said what I was contractually obligated to do. So now um, I'm going to stand with the writers and I'm going to go and leave. And he, he left his segment early on The View. Which That's I thought, fantastic. Good for him. Yep. Just be like, yeah, uh, I had to do this, but now that it's done, I don't have to do anything more. Yep. So I'm, you know, I did my thing and now I'm leaving. Which is, you know, part of me was like, okay, what is there to watch? Oh, there isn't anything to watch on TV. Which is, give me a, you know, now. <laughs> like, why hasn't there been any John Oliver or Stephen Colbert? Oh. Yep. There has been Secret Evasion. Secret Invasion? Yes. What did I say? Secret Evasion. Secret Evasion is something else. And <laughs> Secret Invasion. Probably not great. <laughs> no. Secret Evasion is like, what is it, stealth mode on your car? Like, I don't get what that is, Andy. I don't know. Secret Invasion, the Marvel series. Yes. Uh, has started, right? Yep. First episode is out. I have, not, I have see- not watched it. I have not watched it either. Kate just saw it on Friday afternoon. So I got to try and depending on how, you know, what time this gets done, I may be able to get a bit into it. Andy, but- go to bed. <laughs> Well, yeah, we were also up at 630 because Kate did a 5K this morning. And, um, oh, congratulations. Go yes. to bed. Don't try to watch Secret Invasion tonight. Go to bed. I heard there was some contention about it, though. 
Yes. Speaking the, of writer's strike, speaking of AI. Yes. The, uh, the title sequence was <laughs> AI generated. Huh. Yep. The huh. show's producers think the melty, flowing, somewhat abstracted AI-generated aesthetic prompted as scroll cubism to the AI model was appropriate because the show features shape-shifting aliens that are hiding as humans in plain sight. Huh. No one took a, a second look at that and said, like, hey, by the way, one of the reasons the writers are striking... <laughs> is no, one, no one gave that a second look. They were just like, ah, it'll be fine. Maybe it was something that was already done. <clears throat> Method Studio states that no artist jobs were replaced by incorporating these new tools. And they you were using really? their own they were using their own custom AI tool for the project. Really? Yes. So I, according to them, mm. this was not a re, you know replacement. This was an artist using their AI tool set. Right. But but, mm. but yes, no, the the <laughs> During the middle of the writer's strike, having your show premiere with an AI-generated title sequence was... Maybe a, a bit tasteless. Yeah. Might not have thought that one through. At least they didn't get fined, though, like um, a pair of lawyers did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. that was bad. A federal judge tossed a lawsuit and issued a $5,000 <laughs> fine to a pair of lawyers after they used chat GPT to research court filings that cited six fake cases invented by chat GPT. Yeah. So chat GPT hallucinated and there, there were two lawyers involved. One was like using the other's name effectively. Um, and cause the, the first lawyer who was contracted by the client didn't have like the, um, the right credentials effectively to work on this case given its jurisdiction. And oh. so he was working on behalf of this other lawyer. And the first lawyer, like, submitted a bunch of documents to the court that were like, oh, here's a bunch of cases where this has been a thing. And the court ruled in the favor of their of the same style as what we're seeking. But, like, all of those cases were entirely made up. And so then the second lawyer, who the first lawyer was, like, working on the behalf of, uh, basically signed an affidavit saying, yep, these are all, like, we, we did the research, I'm submitting these, et cetera, et cetera. And so they both got in a lot of trouble. Oh. <laughs> so... Unsurprisingly, the judge, yeah, threw the case out. Yeah, which never should have gone to trial in the first. Like, the case itself was a bad case. Yes, and they were arguing that, basically, the lawyers were arguing to try and move the case to uh, back to New York State Court, where the statute of limitations would apply on the case. Because right now, in its current... Um, current thing there, it, the statute of limitations had passed, so they couldn't even file a claim. So they were arguing that it needed to move right. to a different court so they could file their claim. And then they tried to support their claim with made-up... Fabricated cases. Fabricated cases, and then basically lied on their affidavit saying that they had never utilized ChatGPT as a source for conducting legal research prior to this occurrence, and therefore were was unaware of the possibility that its contents could be false. Yep. <laughs> They're like, oh, no one told me that ChatGPT could produce incorrect information. Part of me would be like, okay, ChatGPT looked this up. Like, I, I did that. I used ChatGPT and Bard for my presentation on the Section 230 process. But and you know you what looked I... looked up everything it gave you. Yes. That was the right? other thing. It was like, yes. I'd be like, yes, could I have the source for that, please? And they gave me the source. And you know what? I looked it up. And you know what? It was like real. Like any good lawyer should. Yeah. Oh, my you, gosh. You, oh, my God. Like, you don't... And it's even worse. And the, there's a, a Legal Eagle YouTube show that covers this in, like, great excruciating detail, pointing out that, like, no matter what, as a lawyer, when you are told that a case was ruled in a certain way and you get the case number, you go look up that case because even though it ruled in a certain way, there could be a ton of extenuating circumstances and like there could have been a bunch of other stuff in that case that rather than supports your argument entirely undermines it. And so he's like, these lawyers are bad lawyers. Oh. I just never thought it could be made up, really. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yep. 
And like the judges on one of them are just like flat out a lie. Oh boy. It's is who was it? Was that Senior Sem where we had like a whole discussion about using Wikipedia as mm-hmm. a cited source? I think Hill was like, you, you see those little numbers? Those little numbers. Click on them. Click on the click on the number. Hey, look at that. Those are sources down there. Mm-hmm. If I see Wikipedia listed as your source, I am going to fail your paper. Ouch. Like I'm just letting you know now, so we're all on. Are we, are we all on the same page on this one? God, man, that was man. I remember the time trying to research paper before the internet. You had you had the CQ, you had encyclopedias, and you just had lots of um, card catalogs. God, I remember using an actual card catalog. Yep, something those kids won't have to think about very hard. Nope, manually looking through lists. All right, what other topics we got? Um, well. We got a couple of phone topics and some satellite topics. So, do, would you want to do some Talk satellites? About the satellites, yeah. Okay. So, first thing at DefCon this year, there are going to be eight teams of hackers who are actually going to try and hack satellites. Honest to goodness, satellites in space from the ground. From the ground. This they is want the to hack the satellites. Yes, this is hack a sat. Four. So this is the fourth time they've done this. The previous time they used satellite hardware, but it was on the ground. Mm-hmm. But this year uh, they're doing a. They're going to send these up on a SpaceX rideshare to the ISS, and then the ISS is actually going to um, deploy deploy these satellites. So it, it's to be to be clear. Then it's not existing satellites. They are literally putting satellites into space. For this purpose. Yes. Because it's, oh, it's the capture the flag contest. Yes. Okay. It's a capture the flag contest with satellites in space. Yeah. (laughs) Built with safety features such as no propulsion. (laughs) Ground controllers have the ability to reboot the system, kicking out any intruders and restoring control. So yes, there are going to be people on the ground trying to hack satellites in the air, in space. Should be interesting to see how it goes. So that should be fun. I have um, a friend going to DEF CON this year. Oh. I'll have to ask her to keep an eye out for this. Yep. No EAS boxes I have to worry about anymore. EAS, the emergency alert system? Yep. Remember that was at DEF CON last year where the guy showed the vulnerability in the EAS system? Oh, uh, yeah. And I now there's... will be back with a new one. Well, there's supposed to be new... There was supposed to be a new firmware patch rolling out for all the EAS boxes that um, the cyber C C I T S or C T I S or C- whatever that acronym yeah, is. One of the acronyms on there, and the FCC basically put out new rules for the security on the EAS boxes and how you're supposed to handle any sort of intrusions and reporting the intrusions and all the other stuff there, which I don't have to worry about anymore. So I stopped Yay. paying attention. But I think it I think it was gonna cost about two hundred and fifty dollars to upgrade every single EAS box. Two hundred and fifty dollars? Two hundred and fifty dollars per per box? box. Or okay, that I was very confused for a second. I'm like I, I I, I have 250 bucks. If that's the issue, like I can, I can do that. No, $250 per box. How many boxes are there? Uh, let's see. In the 14 stations, let's see that. Holland had two boxes. <clears throat> Kalamazoo had two boxes because I wired them up to only need to use two. Uh, Coldwater had one. Battle Creek had one. Lansing had three. Three, so whatever that is, it's it's under it was under fourteen. It was under a dozen. I know that for a fact. So, but still, even though if you're one station, you have to have an EAS box, and yeah. it will be two hundred and fifty dollars for that one station. You know, if you, if you're like yeah, me and you're you have the ability to combine them, then it's great. But you you don't want to be that one station that doesn't do it and mm-hmm. then gets hacked. And then since the FCC, you know, has rules. There's, eating, there's probably a much bigger fine for, like, getting hacked. 
Yes. FCC will kick you while you're down. <laughs> you got hacked and the FCC will find you and probably put you on the red flag list for, you know, when your license is up for renewal. Yeah. So, but yeah, don't have to worry about so, that anymore. So pay the fine. Yeah. Or pay the, the 250 bucks a box. Yep. So the other news satellite wise is um, a company, AST Space Mobile, put a satellite into space that was actually using AT&T's 4G spectrum from space and were able to use it with a unmodified smartphone. Huh. So okay, but a, a regular smartphone was able to yeah. communicate with the satellite directly over, with the satellite directly with the satellite over 4G. But the satellite is really far away. How did the phone have enough strength to send a clear signal to the satellite? Well, the satellite is 693 square feet in size. That's a big dish. Yes. So it was, Dang. yep, 693 square feet in size in low Earth orbit and was able to pick up the 4G signal from the phone. According to them, they had speeds of up to 10.3 megabits per second and were able to actually have a voice call. Over the... Over the satellite. Satellite. Wow. So I know, you know, we talked about AT&T, or no, Apple. Apple having their satellite uh, things and... T-Mobile and SpaceX. SpaceX. Well, it looks like somebody else is doing their thing there where you're not even going to have to worry about what type of cell phone you have. It, there's no way it would work for 5G, though, right? Like the range well, is just too short. They're planning on, um, they're, they said, okay, we've got 4G working. We're going to try 5G as our next test. But it's like 5G is so short wave. Well, there's the two sides of 5G. You have the millimeter wave, and then you also have the lower spectrum, the C-band spectrum, that's also technically 5G spectrum, which is a much bigger wave. And as we know, satellites are already communicating on the C-band 5G spectrum already. Granted, yes, those as, as we know. Yep. We are totally aware. The C-band spectrum is what everybody, this, the the big satellite dishes, not your direct TV satellite dish. Yeah. But, but you know, the big old school satellite dishes. Okay. So that's what they're going to try next is they got 4G <laughs> to work and they're going to try and work on 5G next. So okay. that's the thing. Neat. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want me to talk through on this list? Yes. Uh, I think that's that's most of it. 4G set phone. That's just. I think we got. Did we get everything? No, there's some we other missed stuff. like two topics, three topics. The Four Xbox. Topics. The Xbox price is actually going up in okay. uh, in most that's countries. Surprising, but yeah, I know. Okay, I I haven't heard of a game console getting more expensive. Increase, yeah. Like usually they go down in price over time. Yes, but you know, Sony announced a price hike for the PS5 last year, but. And so the Xbox Series X basically matching. Was like, well, I guess we can match that. Yep. That's not how the market's supposed to work. <laughs> and the um, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate is going to be increasing in price as well. Boom. Yep. Okay. Um, so that's going up. Uh, there's been some uh, info out of the Microsoft versus FTC hearing. Ooh, this is about the acquisition? Yes. What do so, they have to say to them for themselves? Well, the fact that um, Xbox Vice President Sarah Bond testified that Activision basically said that they wanted a better uh, revenue split for Call of Duty for the mm -hmm. Xbox platforms. And they basically threatened to pull Call of Duty from the Xbox if Microsoft didn't agree. Huh. So that was news. Huh. And that um, Microsoft occasionally agrees to an 80-20 revenue rather than the traditional 70-30 when they basically believe it is critical to get that content. So it seems that this has not been the only time that a company has come to Microsoft and says, hey, we want more of the cut, otherwise we walk. I mean, power to the that group, right? Like that's, the, that's what they should be able to do. Mm-hmm. Microsoft lawyers in their filing said that Xbox has lost the console wars and its rivals are positioned to continue to dominate, including by leveraging exclusive content. Xbox has consistently ranked third in consoles behind PlayStation and Nintendo. Yeah, that's not a surprise. No, yeah, the Xbox lawyers are trying to make the Xbox look bad so they can get the merger through. Yeah. But still, just hearing your own company going, yeah, we suck. 
I mean, I, they're not wrong, but that doesn't mean that this merger should go through. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong that you suck, but we still don't want you to meet up with these other guys. Well, like, it, you're you're not wrong that you suck, but that doesn't mean we should let you gain this, like, piece Massive. as an advantage. Yeah. Like, that's not, no, the cost is too high. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Spencer also was up on there, which most of his argument, you know, the FTC lawyer was trying to talk to him about, you know, is the switch a console or not? And um, the judge actually shut down, hit their line of questioning a couple of times. He's like, I, he's like, I don't care. You know, move on. <laughs> so Is the Switch a console? Who cares? Yes. The judge is like, the, well, I don't feel like this is a relevant line of questioning. I mean, it kind of is. I can, I can see why they would say it is. So yeah, so there's a bunch of little nuggets there, and the the it's going to go on all next week as well. So there'll probably more stuff yeah. that will pop out of that. Them saying like we we lost the console war is kind of amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the FTC is also filing a lawsuit against Amazon because of how hard it was, or probably still is, I haven't checked, uh, to cancel your Amazon Prime subscription. Ah. I haven't tried. I haven't tried either, but I guess Amazon, um, the FC, FTC complaint said that Amazon finally made some changes to its cancellation progress process in April 2023 due to the pressure from the FTC. Fittingly, Amazon named that cancellation process Iliad. Because it takes so long to do? I guess so. That's hilarious. I love it. Amazon designed the Iliad cancellation process uh, to be labyrinthian and Amazon and its leadership slowed or rejected user experience changes that would have made Iliad simpler for consumers because those changes adversely affected Amazon's bottom line. Well, yeah, of course they did. Welcome to capitalism. Yes. How is this news? The Iliad flow required consumers intending to cancel to navigate a four-page, six-click, 15-option cancellation process. That sounds nightmarish. Yep. So yeah, the FTC is suing Amazon for making it a pain in the ass to get rid of Amazon Prime. But like I said, I wouldn't know because I, I haven't. I I needed a kitchen scale. I ordered it today. It was at my door today. <laughs> yeah. No. I uh. I, our soap dispenser in our bathroom mm. broke. Just it it won't dispense soap. It's one of those automatic soap. That, you know, you put your hand underneath. It, it's supposed to give you soap. Yep. Stop. It stopped doing that. It, so it, it had one job. It had one job. Stopped doing that job. I went out to Amazon and I said, "Hey, I'd like one, please." And Amazon said, "Sure. It may show up today. Most likely, it will show up tomorrow." And I said, "Sweet." Like I okay. I didn't even have to figure out what store to go to or anything like that. Yep. And, New one's just going to show up we tomorrow. We say that it's also like terrifying. Yes. Like that's not necessarily a good thing. But you know, watching things on Amazon Prime, there are plenty of shows that I still would like to finish watching on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Should we hit the randoms? Yes, we should probably hit the randoms because yes, I yeah. would like to go to bed. Yeah. Okay. Random review. Review. Was something review. that uh, I didn't actually order on Amazon. Um, and of course, the link that I put on here is from Walmart. But that that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, but uh, so got a new job um, and uh, I, I'm in my car and traveling a lot. And so I uh, needed to up my coffee game because normally I would just brew my one, you know, my one travel mug of coffee. And then when I was at work, if I needed more coffee, I would go to the coffee maker at work and pour myself some more coffee. But if I'm there out, is no dr- coffee maker at work. there is no coffee maker. I'm, you know, driving. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Work, work is your car. Yes. My, my office is literally the Ford Expedition parked out front. That is my office. So I needed to get some more coffee, but I still, you know, still had, I still, li- I hate to say it, I still like the K-Cups for their yeah. ease of use. Okay. So I wanted to get a coffee maker that could both brew drip coffee and still do K-Cups. And I found this one from Faberware. It's got drip coffee on the left side, and it's got the ability to do the capsules on the right. Or, you know, if you don't want to do K-Cups, it's still got the little, like, you know, you can put your ground coffee in the reusable cup and use that instead. Mm -hmm. It's got two separate water reservoirs, one for the drip, one for the... It's it's literally basically like they took two coffee makers and put them together. And just shoved them together? Yes. With one control panel? Yes. 
It's been great. It's also a programmable coffee maker for the drip side. So I just, you know, I set up the drip side the night before and I say, hey, at 7.25 in the morning, start brewing. By the time I get downstairs, it's brewed. It's got a little heater pad on there that will run for two hours after you brew. So your drip coffee will stay hot. Nice. And then, you know, right before I head out, I, you know, I throw a K-cup in the right side where my travel mug is and I just you know, I brew that side right before I leave. So I've got, you know, I've got the, the drip coffee goes in the thermos. The the K cup goes in my, you know, coffee mug and I'm good to go. The, uh, the one downside I have with this is the fact that, and I haven't, I didn't know this because I've never really did, you know, drip coffee is supposedly this is a 12 cup, um, coffee, coffee pot. Yes. Yeah. Those cups are not cups. Are if they that not makes actual sense. cups? They are not actual cups. They're not like standard cups? Nope. Because it had an option on here to brew, you know, one to four cups on um, as instead of brewing the whole the whole drip thing. So I was like, okay, I'll just do one to four cups. And I brew that and it goes up to the, the line on the, the <clears throat> thing there that says four. And I'm like, sweet, four cups. And I pour that into my one liter thermos and I only get and a it- Get about half, yeah, I get about halfway. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> science says more than that. Science says this should be pretty full, and it's not. Science, math. I think math, math says it should be pretty full. Yes, math, math or volume. Vo- the volume comparison should say. <laughs> yeah, but like that's that's math and maybe physics. It's a stretch to call it physics. Okay, so the math says I should okay, have this math, thing. Sure, yeah. yeah, math says. Math says this should be full. So then, you know, the next day I filled the thermos all the way up with water and then I poured it into the coffee pot just to see and it goes up to line eight. And I'm like, huh. So eight of these cups, cups is a is, liter? Is approximately one liter, which if you want to know the math, one liter is 4.2 US cups. So it sounds like these are actually half cups. Yes, that's what I found out. I was talking to, you know, I posted this on Facebook going like, what the heck is this? And other people like, oh yeah, coffee cups are not really standard. You know, some are six ounces, some are um, four ounces. But but why? I don't know. I don't. The only thing I can assume is that it's like the cup being the mug, but I think most mugs carry at least a cup. Nope. I guess some coffee mugs are only six ounces, and I guess some crazy, stupid people have four ounce coffee mugs. Why? Like, that's that's a teacup. That's not a coffee mug. Yep. That is a teacup. Your coffee mug is a literal, like, that's what my, my parents use for their coffee mugs are teacups. And I'm like, that's, that's fine, but like, I have to make a lot more. <laughs> it's like, yeah, my, my morning mug is 14 ounces. Well, actually, 15 ounces is the mug. But yep. this, this, the, the, the capsule side on here is 14 ounces and it's got a little insert on the inside there that you can actually use. So you can actually see where the 8, 10, 12, and 14-ounce lines are when you're pouring it in. So, but I just pour it up to the 14-ounce. I'm like, because that's a full mug. I will take that full right. mug of coffee, please. Right. Um. So yes, outside of the one thing of the fact that the cups are not cups, once I figured out how much coffee I needed, you know, to put in there, like I already knew the, the ratio. I had my little scoop thing that is the exact amount per, you know, eight ounces of water. So I got my little scoop and I got the right scoop measuring amounts. <clears throat> you know, I know I have to fill it up to the eight line now. And I do the brewing with the programming and it it works. So it I works. It's a it's a good cup of coffee. Yes. It's your it's your standard drip coffee maker that's got the cone coffee filter. It's not the flat <clears throat> one on the bottom. So mm-hmm. number four? Uh yes. Hey, not bad. Given nope. that I'm just looking at a picture of this thing and I know yes. what I have in my basement. Yes. And the uh, it's got a little, you know, tray drip tray for the, the other side there. So my I can pull the drip tray out and my coffee mug works fine. But you know, if I'm just pouring, you know, if I'm brewing somebody an actual just like little mug of coffee, I can put the drip tray back in and that I don't have to worry about it, you know, coffee going everywhere. Yeah. So I like it. I have right. I have like stepped a nice up coffee maker. Yep. Stepped up your coffee game. When are you gonna yes. start grinding your own? 
Well, that's the, that's the, I'm going to have to think about that because, you know, I'm buying the smaller bags because I only want to go through ground coffee, a new bag once a week. I don't want to keep it longer than a week. At least that's what I was always told is, you know, ground coffee is good for a week. It so can that, stay good much longer than that. Oh, okay. It's just that you have to like take care of it, right? It should oh. be sealed. It should be uh, not in a glass container. I, I leave it in the bag and then the bag has that vent, the one-way vent on yep. it. So I, you know, yep. I, I push all the air out and I just Good. keep that one little bag and then oh, I yeah. try. Oh, yeah, it should definitely last more than a week. Okay. I mean, probably better if you can make it like airtight, but do do me a favor, Andy. Yes. Andy, I have a thing for you. <laughs> I need you to do something for me. Okay. Next time you go buy ground coffee, yes, buy like a bag and a half. And literally in, in two separate bags, like buy your normal and just buy like a half bag extra. And then take that half bag and put it in the closet for like two weeks and then use it and see if you can tell the difference. I probably won't because I've been so used to K-cups for the longest time that my coffee taste buds are probably like, hey, at least it's not Folgers. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I probably but, won't. But be then able you'll to tell. know, right? Then yeah. you'll be like, "Oh, okay. I, like, I can buy more than a week's worth of coffee." Yeah, I'm not going to go to you know Costco and buy like a five pound bag of ground coffee. No, because that would you just don't be, use that much. No, but yes, this is my my Faberware side by side coffee maker. It's a nice little guy. Works fine. Cool. All right, random topic. Yeah, rolled ahead of time. Yeah. What was your favorite childhood toy and why? So this is actually a question we would give to our classes as an icebreaker. Okay. What was your favorite childhood toy? And I had the, I had my official answer, um, which is I would always, you know, wait for the class to go first and I'd be talking to them as they go through theirs and because we do like a pass the microphone kind of thing. Like, oh, what's yours? Oh, what's yours? Oh, that's cool. And. And like, yeah, they, uh, there, there were definitely regional things, um, of like, oh, my favorite toy was a cricket bat. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like, uh, you know, Barbies and dolls. And, uh, my personal favorites were like, my little siblings were my favorite toys. And I'm like, that sounds a little cruel, but okay. <laughs> um, and so we'd go through this whole thing and I'd come up and be like, all right. So, you know, you guys gave me your favorite toy. So here's mine. And I'd click a button and it would pop it up on the big screen in front of the classroom. And it was the, I have to go look it up again, damn it, uh, original graphing, I should have looked this up before the show, knowing what the, um, the topic was going to be. Oh, come on, where is, no, I want, like, the old one. Yeah, vintage, Casio, like, FX 7000 or some bullshit like that. That looks about right. Yeah. The Casio FX 7000 GA calculator. Waiting for Andy to type it in. No, I, I, yeah, I know what calculator you're talking about. I'm trying to look up which version of mine would be. I'm trying yeah. to remember if we had an IBM 286 or a 486 in the basement. Probably a two. Um, but so I'd, I'd say like, oh, this calculator, this is FX7000G. Like my dad brought it home from work one day because he was a math teacher and also was like really involved in the information systems department and then was the head of information systems. And he like handed me this thing and I'm like, I have no idea what most of these words or buttons do, but there's a bunch of rubber buttons and I really liked it. And so it was a like building up nerd cred um, as I'm about to teach them for the next like three days about reporting and SQL and all these. I'm like, look, I'm a nerd. I've been a nerd forever. Um, this is probably still high on my list, but at the same time, like, it's a calculator. It wasn't my favorite toy. Um, what was my favorite toy, though? I don't know that I really had... You know what? My Game Boy. My Game Boy would have been my favorite toy. My Game Boy would have been the thing where, like, if I had lost it, I would have been crushed. So I'm gonna say my Game Boy. I I would have to say the IBM in the basement. That was, you know, that I had learned my ABCs. I remember my ABC <laughs> circus on the, mm -hmm. the floppy disk. We had where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Where in time is Carmen San Diego? Where in the USA is Carmen San Diego? Which I still actually have a ROM of where in the USA is Carmen San Diego on my desktop. I can, there's a Carmen San Diego folder right here. <laughs> 
I could still just bring up case. yes, I could still bring up just where in the USA in is Carmen San Diego right now if I wanted to. So you know, it, it, there was just so many things to do on that. I remember my dad would come back from some of the handventions, and he would have those like those um, the CDs, which was probably that was past the 286. That's probably on our other computer, but I forgot what model that was. But he had like the discs of you know like a hundred and games or a hundred and one yeah, games on oh the disc. Yeah, oh god, I remember those and. Like, you know, playing Commander Keen. Did you ever go to a software swap meet? Uh, no. That was probably Eric and Jamie were probably the ones more on that one. But, you know, playing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the text adventures there. Um, yeah. You know, Police Quest and Space Quest on those old systems. Um, trying to figure out what Leisure Suit Larry was all about because I did not get any of it. I was like, this is the weirdest version of King's Quest ever. Yeah. (laughs) What is this guy doing? This is not like King's Quest at all. I'm very confused. And then, of course, you know, you have to type in all the commands. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. But the, the, you know, there was a lot of my childhood was spent on that old thing there. I knew Norton... Norton Commander, I think was the was our OS on that one. This was, you know, I don't know. Was it my my original OS was DOS. Uh, I started to learn DOS programming when I was like, and by DOS I mean basic like change directory type stuff when I was in like second grade, third grade. I'll have to ask Jamie what what we had on there. We had like a, it was a file system in there and I knew that thing forwards and backwards. It had Windows, Word, the old blue screen and the white text. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, that was, if I was home. Top of the line. If I, well, yeah, because my dad was a professor at college. So he was doing professory sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, You know, that was my thing. It was like, oh, I'm home. I'm going to be downstairs in the basement trying to do one of many things on that computer. Play Wing Commander, play X-Wing, Mist. Yep. Mist was why we got a CD-ROM drive. Mist was the reason why we got a CD-ROM drive. Nice. So, yeah, no, I, it was that old IBM in the basement. That was, that was just going down there in my little green office chair, you know, just that's where I would spend my time. So I, I, if you want nerd cred, like I said, I learned my freaking <laughs> ABCs yep. on that computer. So on that I note, my ABCs on the Casio. <laughs> on that note, it's yep. late and yes. go to bed. Yep. I'm going to bed. That's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Random Access Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, suggestions, remarks, reviews, rebukes, retorts, or just rants, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at RAPodcast, or send us an email at mail at RAPodcast.net. Thank you for listening. Thank you.